Well, good morning, everybody. Good to see all you guys, and happy Mother's Day. Um, what a beautiful day. Can we give it up for all the moms? And We're going to honor uh, all the moms or anyone playing in a motherly role um, later on uh, after the service. Um, just we also know and just want to you know want to bring it to you know everyone's attention that you know also Mother's Day is also one of the most difficult days for people uh, for so many different reasons and uh, we are very aware of that. And so even when we do our content, uh, we don't ever do like a Mother's Day specific sermon. We just kind of continue on with uh, the series that we're in. And we will do that uh, today in this copy and paste series where we're talking about uh, what it means to be like made in the image of God, this image that we're downloading, this image that we're pasting onto things. And so uh, we're going to talk about that a little bit further here. But before we get into it, I, wanna, I want you to go, we're going to do another poll today. Um, so can we get, uh, you can get your phones out and can we go to that first, is it, do you have it? Not, not to the actual poll, yeah, just to there, yeah. And so this is what, uh, if you guys go to your phones, you go to that. Um, we're going to do uh, a couple of polls today. We're going to do one here in just a minute, and then uh, we'll do one uh, a little bit later on in the sermon. And uh, if you go there and you guys participate, it will be helpful. So we're in this series called uh, um, Copy and Paste. And this whole image of God thing is incredibly significant. In Genesis chapter 1, uh, it talks about that every human being that's ever been made uh, and ever will be made is made in the image of God. And so what that essentially means, what we've been talking through, is that reality is more than just every person having dignity. It is more than just looking at someone as, as having a life. It, it's really about being all those things plus in relationship with God, plus being able to be uh, in the presence of God, plus, and most importantly, being God's representative of what his kingdom should look like and what his people, um, how, they, how we should live. And so we've been talking a lot about that these past few weeks. And then uh, last week we talked about how part of what happens in the midst of this is that we all have a choice. And in this choice, we can make this exchange, basically. Uh, we can make this exchange for the true self that God wants us to be. Uh, we can exchange that for this false self. And uh, this false self is exhausting. This false self is um, stressful. Uh, this false self that we sometimes choose uh, can be hurtful and harmful in so many different ways. And, uh, but when we kind of tap into the presence of God and being with and in the presence of God, we start seeing something different. And we've been looking at the creation story. And we always get to the Jesus part. The Jesus part is really important. And we'll get there again today. But um, we're going to stay in that creation story again uh, here today because it's really important important to understand the bigger picture of what we're involved in. Uh, even when it comes to Jesus, it's like, I love Jesus, right? Jesus is the hinge point of the Christian faith. But to fully understand some of the things about what Jesus is about, we've got to understand what came uh, before him. So I want to do a quick little poll. So if you bring your, your uh, phones up um, here, can we go to that first poll? And uh, the question is, can we get there? You guys might already be there before me. I can't remember the exact wording of the question. I think it's, uh, what phrase describes you? Are you well-rested and at peace? No? Are you mostly stressed but not, but not so bad? I got it here. Um, thank you, though. Uh, do you feel like I'm on the edge? And then the last one, just being, ah, you feel like screaming. All right. So are you, are you well-rested, at peace, mostly stressed, but not so bad? Feel like I'm on the edge? And then the last one being, ah. And then we should see results, I'm assuming. Me, should we have this? Yeah. All right. Mostly stressed, but not so bad. Look at you guys. Well-rested, at peace. That's really good. 
feeling like I'm on the edge, and then fourth is up. That's really good. So mostly stress is not, maybe not so great, but um, this is important to just see because I just want you to see what people are, are like going through and what kind of stage of life you're in, what it feels like um, in the midst of this. And uh, it's, I want to talk about rest today and being at peace because there's something so significant in this story um, when it comes to uh, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? What does it mean to be made in uh, the image of God? You know, busyness is uh, something that we always accept, right? Busyness is actually known as one of the silent killers. It's the silent killer of our health uh, uh, in our relationships, and then it's a silent killer in our relationship with God, too. And so uh, we, we, it's a silent killer because we always accept busyness as a reality, right? We'll always be like, hey, how's everything going? You're like, oh, I'm so busy, we just kind of accept that as a reality. But um, it's not the way that we were designed to be. It's not the way that uh, God desires us to be. And we actually see this in the creation story. In Genesis chapter 1, when everything starts happening, and you guys heard me talk about this a lot with the waters, um, in, in the first verse of Genesis chapter 1, which is the first book in the Bible, uh, I just want to take you guys through this a little bit. The waters were there, and the waters represent chaos. They represent an untamable force. Ancient civilizations looked at the waters, and they just believed no god could ever even tame this because, uh, you know, they would go out there. Some people would sail out on the waters, and then they never came back. And so they would believe that, man, there were these monsters out there devouring people. So there's incredible fear of water. Well, what ends up happening is in the creation story, it says that the spirit, meaning the presence of God, hovered over the waters. And everything started to have order and function. And then we start seeing as we go through in the creation story, days one through six, that there is this order and functioning to the way thing God, God desires things to be. And then we get to something actually that's really significant. And by the way, with, I don't care if you believe in a literal six-day creation or not. It doesn't ultimately matter when we look at um, this story. The, the bigger story of who God is in the midst of this is actually what's really important. Um, but in day seven, it's pretty interesting what happens in day seven. And you've probably heard about this before, but oh, let me just read it here. It says this, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the, which day is it again? Good job. He rested from all of his work. Then God, look at this. He blessed the what day? Yeah, and made it holy. Because on it, he what? Good. From all the work of creating that he had done. And so when this starts to happen, we start seeing something interesting that... Uh, on the seventh day, so this even number seven is significant, even in Hebrew scripture. And so uh, ancient writings had different rhythms with numbers and everything, but seven represented holiness, completeness. Um, um, it represented wholeness in general. So that number seven becomes significant. So if you're reading through the Bible, you'll see things around seven a lot, um, or even multiples of seven. So seven becomes like a significant thing. But there's this order that in days one through six, that there's a functioning and order. And if you do things in the way that God desires and in the way that things are supposed to be ordered, on day seven, you experience rest that there's something significant about this rest. What's interesting about the day seven there is that day seven actually never ends. It's the only day in the creative story that has no sun up, sun down. That it's this idea that day seven actually could, it never ends. And so um, we begin to think about this in terms of what does that mean for our lives? It's like, oh, to experience the rest of God. The, even in the beginning of the story, it's pointing to eventually someday there'll, there'll be like this unending rest in God. 
And so we see that in the beginning it's pointing to the end, but in the reality, even in this middle part, was what we live in, that there's this bigger story that's at play about what does it mean to actually rest, that there's this rhythm of days one through six in our lives, and you've got to journey through those in order to experience day seven of rest. And so if we don't handle days one through six correctly, then guess what you don't get to do? Rest. And so God has this way for us to be. Um, This idea of rest um, that we see in Scripture is to cease from doing work. It's to uh, dwell is another phrase that's used. And uh, it's to kind of just be. And sometimes it's really hard to be, isn't it? To just simply just be. We have a really, our brains are always moving all the time. You know, it's interesting, even our brains, our brains are oscillating between focus and distraction four times a second. Isn't that crazy? And so, so we begin to see that, like, man, it's really hard for us to rest. It's really hard for us to dwell. It's really hard for us to be, but that is actually how God designed your life to be. You know, we even see this right now, right? It's like, is, is stress fruitful in our lives? No. No. Is just going, going, going. Like, is that, like is that, does that work? How many guys have come close to burning out or burned out before? Yeah. Like, which is... Honestly, that's sad. <laughs> like, when you, when you think about how many of us have just been like, you know what? I was on the edge, or I was actually over for a while. And we begin to see that we're not even designed to, to be that way. That's not what God uh, desires for us, that there is this rhythm of life that God desires for us. And when we go outside of that, that's where problems start uh, to happen. The truth is, when we go outside of the rhythm that God has for us, like, you don't actually experience rest. Even when we sing and that's in that last song, it's like, man, we're, we're looking to the world for things, but it doesn't ultimately give us rest. Um, does, like, let's just say, like, one of the big marketing ploys is, like, let's just say you need more, right? You just need more money. Does money give you rest? Some people are like, well, I mean, it can, right? Buy me a nice house to rest in, right? But it doesn't ultimately give you rest. You keep chasing, you keep chasing. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. What this world offers and the rhythm of the world doesn't work. And so we need rest. Um, Some of you guys have uh, heard about this already, but I just wanted to share um, for Lacey and I and our family, uh, there's something called a sabbatical that happens within ministry. And uh, on May 22nd, uh, we will be going on sabbatical for three months, actually. And so uh, we won't be around here. Um, for those three months, and um, this is something kind of specific to ministry. A- academic world has it too, um, but in ministry, it's just a little bit different. Uh, there's this rhythm of rest, and um, that uh, is designed with the way we kind of started off the church at the beginning. We're like, hey, every seven years, um, anyone on pastoral staff is going to get a sabbatical. And, um, and so it's our turn. We're first, because we were here um, first. Um, but uh, Cara, our uh, children's pastor, is also going to be on sabbatical um, this summer. And uh, she'll start a week after us. But uh, now, why do we do this sabbatical? Um, it's not because we're burnt out. We're actually in like a really good spot. When we first uh, realized that it was our time to do sabbatical, I'll be honest, for me, it was like a little bit of a bummer because I was like, oh, I don't even need it. Like, I feel so good right now and, and everything. And, uh, um, but as we kind of put this in place, here's the other piece to this, that we want to do this for the long haul. Like, we want to do this for a long time. 
And, um, and we need the right rhythm uh, in our life to be able to do that and establish this. Now, there's no biblical mandate to sabbatical. I don't want you to, to think that I, I believe that. But um, there is a mandate to rest and have good rhythms. And part of what ends up happening in uh, vocational ministry, so I worked in the corporate world for a long time too, um, there is a difference between corporate world and vocational ministry. And let me explain to you a couple of them. Uh, every time that we sit and do counseling with someone, it pulls something out of us. And, I, and this is not, everything I'm about to say is not a complaint. Like we signed up for this, we love it. So this is not a, remotely a complaint. But something's pulled out of us every single time. And that something is like, I, well, I guess it's love. Because <laughs> like, like when we hear someone's story, um, like we get attached to that story. We get attached to that hurt or that pain. Or, uh, and the truth is, is most of the time, most of the time that people come into our office, it is not to celebrate. Right, And so we, um, most of the time when we get people at their worst and we get people uh, when you're in the biggest amount of pain, when a marriage is falling apart, when uh, you're going through addiction, when uh, things are feeling like so confusing and everything else and you're, you're searching for help and, um, or, and even that could be spiritually as well. And so uh, over the years that like pull like does something to you and, uh, and then what a sabbatical does is it kind of gives you just a time of rest and rejuvenation and restoration for vision and planning uh, and everything. And there's some relaxing time too, of course, but it isn't a vacation, uh, uh, though we will take a few weeks of vacation. But uh, primarily what we're going to be doing is really focusing on being in the presence of God and what that means for us and some new disciplines to feel restored and rest and rest up and have like a good rhythm so that we can actually uh, do this for the long haul. The reality is, is uh, I know several pastor friends who took sabbaticals because they were forced to and uh, because they had been burned out and exhausted and they wanted to quit. That's not our story. Um, we're actually in a great place, like here. Uh, we have a great team. Uh, we're not remotely worried uh, about what's gonna happen you know, over those few months, uh, except the setting up of the chairs. Um, that's actually like something, it's a joke, but Joe and I do that every Sunday morning, just the two of us, and uh, I'll miss it, honestly. Maybe I'll sneak, no, I won't. Lisa would kill me if I snuck in here, but, um, but there is that, that piece that um, we're just really excited for it, but um, we would just ask you guys to just be in prayer for us um, during that season for just um, new vision and just a deep connection with God in the midst of this. Um, but so this starts May 22nd. So anyway, the, when we kind of think about this and this rhythm, it becomes important. And there's this biblical rhythm to things that I just want you to see and experience um, because God has something deeper for us in the midst of this. And so when we start thinking about uh, even the story in Genesis chapter 8 with Noah, um, whose name actually means rest. Uh, and so when Noah, and that story of Noah and the ark, and so it, maybe you've heard it before, maybe you haven't, but um, there's a story where God says, hey, um, man, humanity is out of control. They're doing everything that they want to do. And Noah, I'm gonna, I need you to build this ark because the earth is going to flood. And in the midst of this flood, what ends up happening is there's 40 days of the flood. And, and at the end of the story with Noah, uh, there's dove. They, they get all the animals around the ark and everything, and, and they have this dove that gets sent out. And that dove gets sent out, and the dove comes back. And, and guess what day the dove was sent out on? Good job. On the seventh day, it was sent out. And then on the second seventh day, uh, it was sent out again, and it comes back with this olive branch. Now, the olive branch actually was a, a symbol of hope. All right, so the dove comes back, and it's like the symbol of hope. And here's like a little interesting tie-in to that. Um, when the Spirit hovered over the waters, the presence of God, the word for hovering means fluttered. 
And so um, that's why when you ever see the spirit in the, is always like represented by a dove, that's why. So then in the story with Noah's Ark, guess what? It goes over the waters and everything was chaotic. And it goes over the waters and everything comes back and it's like, oh, there's hope here. And so all of a sudden at the end of the story with Noah, well, what's the hope? Well, God's saying, here's what the hope is. Everything is about to subside. The waters are going down. And there can be this new creation, this new life, and you can experience the presence of God again. And this becomes like the hope that we see in the story of Noah. And so uh, the story picks up in Genesis chapter 8, and this is what it says. Then God said to Noah, come out of the ark, and you and your wife and your sons and their wives, bring out every kind of living creature that is with you, the birds, the animals, and all the creatures that move along the ground, so they can what? Multiply on the earth and be fruitful and increase in number on it. And this is the same exact language and wording that's in the creation story. So when, in the creation story, when it said, uh, when we read earlier in Genesis chapter 2, that on the seventh day, that that day was blessed, the only other two days that, uh, the only other time that the, the days were blessed is when God talks about being fruitful and multiplying. That there's something about being in the presence of God that allows for, to be fruitful and to multiply. So if we're not in the presence of God, we can't be fruitful and we can't multiply. Now, sometimes people think, you like, we can't have sex and have kids? No. Literally, our lives can't be fruitful and multiply. That without the presence of God, it just can't happen to its fullest extent. And you'll always be lacking in something. And so we begin to see in this, it's like, oh, that God has something bigger for with what all of creation and to image him is to be fruitful to multiply to to have this blessed nature and I'm not talking about prosperity in terms of money I'm talking about man this connection to the presence of God there's something beautiful about this presence of God uh, the story continues from here um, and uh, God calls out these people they're called the Israelites and they become God's people and he frees them he frees them from slavery. He frees them from oppression. He, frees, he liberates his people. And they're heading out into the wilderness, but God's leading them along the way. And he gives them all these uh, instructions. And he actually says this to them. He says, hey, listen, my presence shall go with you, and I'll give you what? So this theme is going to continue to move on. It's like, ah, in the presence of God, we can find what? Rest. Outside of the presence of God, you don't find rest rest. When we were in, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, in the presence of God, they had rest until they chose something else. And so the presence of God becomes rest. When the Israelites um, continued on, there was this moment where they decided, uh, you know what, God, we, 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 we want to turn from you. And, and he kept saying, hey, you need to repent, you need to repent, you repent. And he would always like come back to them and he'd be like, hey, guys, just, just follow me, be in my presence. Well, eventually they wanted their own king. And so God's like, all right, fine. If this is what you guys want, you, you can experience your choices. And so they experience what the reality of, of having their own king. And eventually what ends up happening is they become uh, enslaved again. And uh, they become oppressed again. And they're underneath the Babylonian dictatorship. And in uh, their oppression, God says something significant. He's like, if you turn back to me, guess what? You're going to be able to save this like, if you're in my presence, here's what you can say to this, like, oppressive king. In Isaiah 14, he says, How the oppressor has come to an end. 
how his fury has ended. So in the presence of God, oppression starts coming to an end. The Lord has broken the, the rod of the wicked, the scepter of the rulers, which in anger struck down people with unceasing blows and in fury subdued nations with relentless aggression. All the lands are at rest and at peace. They break into singing. All right, that part, last part shouldn't be there for some reason. But they break into singing. That there's something about in the presence of God, even underneath the worst scenario, even on the worst oppression, that in the presence of God, we can experience rest. In the presence of God, even the land will start singing. In the presence of God, something significant starts happening. David, who is a king, uh, he said this. Um, he said, one thing I ask from the Lord, and this only do I seek, that I will dwell, which just means to rest, to be, that this is the ultimate desire in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. The temple always represented the presence of God. So David says this, he's like, in order for me to experience the beauty of life, in order for me to, to really experience what it means to dwell in this life, in order for me to be my fullest self and the fullest human I could possibly be, I want to and I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord forever, to dwell in the presence of God forever. For you guys, is that how you think? <laughs> is that how, like, when we wake up in the morning, do we be like, just one thing I seek, God, to dwell in your house forever. Um, I've never woke up and said that. I don't think. I don't think I've ever like woken up and been like, ah, to dwell in your house forever. But when I was reading that passage this week, I was just thinking to myself, I wonder if that would really reorient me every morning. If that was like the first thing I thought about. I wonder if I would start appreciating beauty a little bit more as I began to think through, like, oh, the first thing I get up and say is, like, God, that I may dwell in your house, to be in your presence. Because ultimately, that's the only way we can experience rest. I wrote this down this week, that we can't experience the presence of God unless we are willing to order our lives in the way he desires. You see, too often... We go about everything our own way. Too often we choose our false self. Too often we just want to do things how we want to do things. And we become stressed. Maybe on the edge. As so many hands went up, you get burned out. Well, why is that? Because we've ordered our lives in a way that God has never desired. And that means physically, emotionally, spiritually, relationally, vocationally. Those are the five areas that you got to like take in. Like, is my life ordered in the way that God actually desires? So why don't we find rest? First one, we image the wrong thing. Why don't we find rest? We image the wrong thing. The Bible talks about this thing called idolatry. And um, I'm guessing no one is bowing down to idols. Like, I'm, I'm guessing you weren't at home today and you had like this idol or this statue in your house and you bowed down to that before you came out today, Right? Uh, maybe somebody did, but I'm guessing no one in here has. But that's how we immediately think about idolatry. But the way the Bible talks about idolatry is anytime you're imaging something else besides God, it's idolatry. Anytime you're representing something else besides God, it's idolatry. Meaning, you are trying to image 
something else besides God. And he would say, or the Bible would say, like, that's idolatry. And so um, how the Bible often talks about that idolatry comes in many different forms. Um, back in ancient civilization, they have all these gods, and they would actually construct a god of some kind to bow down to. But as time went on, people stopped doing that. And, and so idolatry just took on different forms. And so even the way in Psalm 115 it's written, when they talk about idols, and I want you to see this because we can gloss over things so quickly. Psalm 115 says this, but their idols are silver and gold. What does silver and gold represent? Money. It's like this element of greed and this desire to just do what they want. Made by human hands. They have mouths but cannot speak, eyes but cannot see, they have ears but cannot hear, um, noses but cannot smell. They have hands but cannot feel, feet but cannot walk, nor can they utter a sound with their throats. So all the things that, um, you know, that, that most humans can do in some capacity, you can't do it to its fullest extent when we have idolatry. He says, those who make them will be what? Like them. And so will all who trust in them. So what he's saying here is like, all right, if you want to ignore the presence of God to do your own thing, then you've chosen something else to image in your life. Whatever that something else is. It could be your own intellect, because you think you know more than God does. Um, it could be uh, money. It could be uh, something with work. It could be something uh, with sex or sexuality. It could, be, it could be a whole slew of things that you've decided, I'm going to ignore the presence of God and I want to image whatever the world has created. And so what the Bible then would then say is like, okay, you would become just like that then. You will not become like God and image God. You will become like that thing and be less human. You'll, you have eyes but can't fully see. You have a mouth but can't fully speak. You have a nose but you can't fully smell. You have ears but you can't fully hear. You have hands but you can't fully feel it. It's like you don't experience life the way God has designed you to be. And sometimes, guess what? We are actually in like a happy place, seemingly. And we think it's okay, but the truth is, Unless we're imaging God in what we do, we are just getting a, a, a step down at best, several steps down at worst. And it's why we can't ever fully feel like we're satisfied. And so we begin to image all the wrong things because we can't be fully human. In the end, when we're imaging other things, we have false gods in our lives. And so false gods create false narratives, and we end up living out the wrong story. So when we start trying to image something else, it's like, all right, we're, we're living out the wrong thing. God has designed us to, to, to image him, to be in his presence, to experience him. But when we choose a false God, which is what we do when we image something else, we choose a false God, then, then naturally a false narrative starts playing, and then we live out the wrong story. And it changes everything for us when I started processing um, like just what we see in culture and what we see in the world around us, it's like, man, all of these things that are the ills of the world, the ills of these things that make us so mad or what, just what we see, what is it always related to? It is not related to the presence of God. It's related to false gods. It's related to idolatry. It's related to imaging the wrong things. We see it constantly. 
I mean, ask yourself, pick an issue and ask yourself, is, is, what, is, is the presence of God the problem here? And it never is. It's always a false God. So one way I was thinking about was this. A culture centered on itself has no limits and no ability to rest because fulfillment is fleeting and we'll only be concerned with what is next. This is what we see. It's like, oh, if you just go, just go, just go, just go, just go. Just achieve, just produce, just whatever. I mean, think about it. Like naturally, um, what the world around us tells us to do is kind of this production-based mindset. What the presence of God tells us to do is there's an order and function and desire that he has for us and then to rest. To rest. I mean, we see this in so many different ways and um, from addiction to energy drinks and, and caffeine to go, 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 go. What, well, what is that? Some of you guys are like, dang it. But what is that? What does that feel to have to always go and go and go and go and go and go? That is not how God designed you to be. And so we have to like start thinking that through of what's pushing us. Is it a production-based mindset or is it a presence of God mindset to begin to see things very differently? Um, Here's the second reason that we don't uh, uh, find rest. We aren't following Jesus as well as we think. We aren't following Jesus as well as we think. Um, Look at this. This is Jesus talking. I want you to see what he says. He says, so don't worry. It's a good start. What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear for the who? Say it. Good. No one wants to be one, but here we are. They, the pagans run after all these things. The pagans are the ones that are worried all the time. The pagans are the ones that are fearful all the time. The pagans are the ones that are buying into all this stuff. So they, they'd run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom, right? His, his presence and his righteousness and all these things, like all these things you desire to find rest, to find fulfillment, will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Jesus says this, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you what? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find what? For your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's like, you, you can't find it outside of Jesus. You can't find it outside the presence of God uh, in your life. Uh, think about it this way. How do you picture Jesus? Do you picture him in a hurry? Like, do you picture him going, healed, 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 healed? Like going through, he's got so much to do, guys. He's got so much to do, right? He doesn't do that. Nobody pictures him that way. But don't our lives feel that way sometimes? But aren't we supposed to follow Jesus? It should tell us something. Here are a few things that you can take in. If we can't rest, we have surrendered ourselves to something else besides Jesus. Something else is driving us. If we don't intentionally rest, then we don't trust what God says. If we can't find peace and rest, then we are taking on a burden we weren't meant to carry because like, to follow Jesus is to give him the burden. It's like in him we find rest. And if we can't rest, we can't fully be human. If we're always stressed, if we're always on the edge, we can't fully be who God designed us uh, to be. So I want you to take out your phones. I'm going to do one last poll here, and then um, I'm going to close this out right after that with just a couple of reminders. So this last poll, 
that you see? Do you have a strategy for how you will rest? And here's what I mean by this before you jump to your answer. You're like, I nap really well. I'm not talking about that. <laughs> I'm talking about a strategy emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally, vocationally, holistically that says, oh no, this will lead me to rest because in the essence, I'm, I'm in the presence of God in it. And so we begin to see, for some of us, man, we really think about this a lot right? Which is great. For a chunk, not so much. And so if you answered yes, I certainly hope here's what you could do in those five areas. That you could actually say to someone, here's my strategic plan of how I rest vocationally, relationally, spiritually, physically. Right? How do I do that? How do I engage? How do I, how, how do I um, usher in the presence of God in all those areas in my life? What does that look like? So I want to give you two reminders. One, how do you find rest? You got to buy in. You got to buy into this idea that God desires us to live in a certain way. Sometimes people will you know, be like, ah, I, don't, I don't know if I need that. It's like, no, you have to, to buy in to the reality of God wants you to rest. One thing I wrote down this week, you don't need more time. You need to understand your limits and create better boundaries. Because if we believe that in the presence of God, that we have all we need, and if we believe in the presence of God, um, listen, we can work hard, we can, all that stuff, but man, if we enter into this place where we're in the presence of God and we buy into this, because this is what was the deal at creation. And it's like there's this order and this functioning that we're supposed to operate in. And the second thing you got to do is set the right pace. You got to buy in. You got to set the right pace. Stress, anxiety, depression, suicide are all at the highest levels they've ever been. And currently showing no signs of slowing down. Um, the environment, the land, is as stressed as it's ever been currently not showing any signs of slowing down. Well, why is that? We have no godly presence of God rhythm. You know, the way that it was set up um, in Exodus chapter 20 was uh, they had this idea of of a Sabbath rest that once a week you would take 24 hours off. You would cease. You would just dwell. You would just be. And, And that rhythm was set up for a reason that And I really believe this, that we should all be doing that still today. Here's why I believe that, that that wasn't a rule. Um, It was actually established in creation before there were any quote-unquote rules. There was this rhythm to our lives where we rest and we can just be. What's interesting is uh, uh, every seven years, so that that was like every seven days, every seven years, um, they would release they would give the land total rest for a year. A year. The land would get total rest. Guess what? All the debt was forgiven for people too. Every seven years. Every seventh, seventh year. So after 49 years, on that 50th, heading into that 50th year, they would have the year of Jubilee, which was all the land was not only at rest again, it was restored back to its original owners, all debts were forgiven. 
And it's fascinating. We start seeing that, hmm, maybe God set things up a little bit differently. I always laugh when people try to fight over like economic systems as if God actually created capitalism or socialism. Like it was neither. Neither. Neither one of them are godly. It's like God set up a whole different kind of system. Well, why did he do that? Because he wanted people to actually experience life and to be at rest. It's a whole different way to start thinking through our lives. If we don't have kingdom rhythms, we won't have a kingdom vision for our life. And so let me end with these two questions. I think. There they are. Does my current life rhythm allow me to love God, others, and myself more? And then what needs to change to enable, the, enable me to experience rest emotionally, spiritually, physically, relationally, and vocationally? We've got to do those things. Um, here's what I promise you. Uh, establishing rhythm of rest will not feel like self-improvement. It's going to be disruptive. It just will be. But here's my other promise. If you can do it, and you can bring in the presence of God into those areas of your life, you will be more human than you ever have been before. You will be healthier than you ever have been before. You will have a better kingdom rhythm in your life than you ever have been before. You will image God better than you ever have been before. And that is what God actually desires for you. So will you bow your heads and we're going to sing one more song here in just a second. I just want you to breathe and take this in for a minute. So God, this morning, um, there's something to be celebrated, which is there are people in this room who are feeling well-rested and at peace, and there are people in this room that have a plan for how they want to invite you into all these areas. But I know for all of us, God, that we need more of your presence in our lives. We need a reality of what that can mean for us. We need um, to experience life how you desire. We, uh, we need more of you to truly see who we're designed to be. So God, I just pray that if there's folks in here that um, are choosing a different way than following you, that they would see the story of what you desire differently. Instead of living out their own narrative, they would begin to see the value of living out your narrative. To follow Jesus, to understand what life truly could be, and to experience your presence in such a powerful way. I give this to you. In your name we pray. Amen. Will you stand and sing this last song?